Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 203. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acton the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fuleman? I'm not too bad. How about you? I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, watched the Dune Part 2 trailer for like eight hours on repeat. <laughs> that's the most important thing that's happening this week. Yeah. <laughs> I read that book that. when I was 15 and then like, unfortunately, now it's just going to stay with me for the rest of my life. So that's locked in. But yeah. it looks sick. Yeah, I'm very, um, I'm very high for it. Denis Villeneuve is a very good director. Yeah, and honestly, I'm doing free promos for something that I have nothing to do with. But mm-hmm. I saw the first movie in theaters, and I actually felt like I was in space. Yeah. And so I recommend that experience. I, if you I waited it. till it was on HBO Max. And like I enjoyed the movie, but like in theaters, it would have just been absurd. Like the, the visuals and the sound design knocks your socks off. Yeah, it's huge. I like. I wanted the movie to be like six hours long, mm. and I have almost certainly the world's most obvious case of undiagnosed attention deficit disorder. So that's saying something. Um, we also are a hockey podcast, though, mm. um, at least nominally. And since our last podcast, which was a brief recap of the Leafs triumphing over the Tampa Bay Lightning, a couple of things have happened. Um, this was supposed to be a preview. But the league did not give us enough time to do it. You see, on Sunday night, the Florida Panthers knocked out the Boston Bruins in a huge upset and thereby gained the right to face Toronto. Then we had one off day in which we tried to pull this together and we just didn't have the time to get it out. Then we had game one. And so now here we are on the day of game two trying to do a preview podcast. So we're going to try to incorporate some of what we saw into game one to make this sort of an informed preview podcast where we talk about the Panthers, but also from the perspective of the series is now ongoing. Mm-hmm. It's a little weird, but the league did it to us with its scheduling. Yep. So yeah, without any further ado, let's just, let's get into it. Okay. We actually talked about the Florida Panthers about halfway through this season mm-hmm. and how they were sort of flopping relative to expectations. Last year, they won the president's trophy, lost in round two in kind of embarrassing fashion. This year, they were touch and go to make the playoffs. Really touch and go. But they were better than that indicated, and they've gone on to prove it by knocking off the greatest regular season team of all time. Yes, I, I think we actually both said that at the t- when we talked about them in detail in the pod that like, we thought they were more still the fourth best team in the Atlantic. And they, mm-hmm. I think at the time they were like sixth in the Atlantic. Yeah, we said they got a little worse from last year, but they got mostly more unlucky. And yes. goaltending is also a fickle mistress. Right. So, so, yeah. I think really the, the the big thing is that like the Panthers last year were just kind of ahead of the field uh in terms of their offensive generation. Mm-hmm. And they are not as good this year in that sense, but they are still undoubtedly an elite 5v5 offensive team. And yes. that that's the core of it. That's their thing is mm-hmm. they they come at you in waves. They have absurd forward depth and they are totally cool to trade chances. Yes. The defining feature of the Florida Panthers is attack, 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 attack some more. They will forecheck the shit out of you. They throw a lot of body checks. We saw quite a few. Um, And they will recover the puck from you and then strike for chances. Um, Game one was much more wide open than we were seeing in the Leafs-Tampa Bay series. It was almost a different sport, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Leafs got into kind of a gunfight. They traded chances with the Florida Panthers. 
they didn't necessarily play that badly, but they played the way Florida wanted to play. Yeah. And a goaltending advantage gave the win to the Panthers. Yeah, and I, I've seen some people say that the Leafs can't play that way against Florida. Like, it, it, it's a bad idea. And I don't exactly know how I feel about it. Like, I think the Leafs are capable of winning that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, it's, I mean, you, you, I get the logic behind it. You, you, could, you could pretty reasonably think the Leafs would be better if they could, like, suffocate the game and slow it down. But that also makes it a bit lower event, which, mm-hmm. you know, makes goaltending all the more important. Yes. And the Panthers had a distinct goaltending advantage in Game 1. They probably have a slight one in the series, but that's even less certain than goaltending normally is. Which it's is so hard something. to say, right? Like, yeah. It's, it's, very, it's very, very unclear. But, yeah, I mean, Samsonov needs to play, play some good games. Yes. So, here we are. We're against this very potent offensive team uh, that can come at you in waves, as we were saying. And the Leafs have somewhat played the way that their opponents wanted to. The question is now going to be, do they keep doing that and hope that their talent wins out? Or do they try to turn this into a bit more of a very conservative, choked-off kind of hockey? Which yes. was got them through the the Tampa Bay series. I, I will say, like, I mean, maybe this will look dumb by the time this podcast is released and it's basically the start of game two. Um, <laughs> even down one zero, this is a totally winnable series for the Leafs. The, the, yeah. There's, and this isn't to belittle the Panthers. The Panthers are a good team, mm-hmm. right? Um, th- this really, there aren't any bad teams remaining in this iteration of the NHL playoffs at this point. Um, mm-hmm. Not always the case, but I think it's the case this year. The Panthers are a good team. The Leafs can beat them four games out of six, mm-hmm. right? Um, I, I have faith in that. They're not the favorites anymore, obviously. If you're, like, you have to have a pretty absurd differential in team quality to be the favorites down 1-0. So Florida's you know, clearly the favorites to advance at this point. But mm-hmm. this is a totally winnable series. The Leafs were not uh, without merit in game one. And yeah, I, I, I'm not hitting the panic button. Yeah, so it's all to play for at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, We are going to go line by line and pairing by pairing because that's how I organized the preview when we thought we were going to do it before game one. Um, So bear with me on the structure. We'll also try to talk a little bit about what we saw from these lines and or pairings. Uh, Before we get started on that, I'm going to note two injuries that the Panthers have, um, both forwards. Patrick Hornquist, you may remember, was a strong net front presence on some very good Pittsburgh Penguins teams. Um, he's on LTIR. It doesn't sound like he's going to return this season or possibly at all. Um, so we, we wish him a good future. Um, Ryan Lomberg is the other injury. He's kind of an enforcer with a little bit of skill. Um, he's currently described as a week-to-week, so you would assume we won't see him. Um, however, playoffs have a way of shorter, shortening uh, recovery timelines, so it's not out of the question. But those are the only two significant missing names on the Panthers roster right now. So without further ado, forward line number one, which is interesting because it doesn't have their best player on it, probably. Carter Verhage, Alexander Barkov, and Anthony Duclair. So we have pretty limited minutes for this trio because Anthony Duclair missed most of the season with an Achilles injury. He came back with 20 games left. Uh, Verhage and Barkov played together a lot throughout the season, and they cleaned up nicely. Uh, 57% of expected goals, and 66% of the real ones, which is mighty fine. Yes, and this, these are just good players. Like, Verhege and Barkov are very good players. And I know, I mean, Verhege already scored in the series, and there's always yeah. going to be 
uh, discussions over that five for one deal that got us one year of Michael Grabner shooting into goaltenders' chests, uh, and gave up five prospects. And worth noting, the only one who has become anything of note is Carter Verhage, but Verhage has become a forty goal scorer. Yes, forty two to be exact this season, and he looks terrific by isolates. He is a good all around offensive player. He generates. Yep. He makes plays. He finishes. He even looks good defensively, just to rub some salt in that wound. Yes, and not to absolve the least of any blame here, but like, I mean, a lot of teams gave up on Carter Verhage. Yes, the uh, Islanders and the Tampa Bay Lightning both did, I believe. Yes, and I mean, I think you really, I think really, this is a, a situation where you should just give a lot of credit to Verhage. Who he like at, at the time, Verhage was not considered an incredible prospect either. His his mm-hmm. draft plus two year in, I think it was for Niagara. Was, like, solid, but not spectacular. He has, you know, probably just worked his ass off and become a really, really excellent player, and that's that's a credit to him. Yes, and in a year where a lot of the Florida Panthers experienced declines from their prior season, Verhege produced even more this year than previous. As mentioned, 42 goals, 31 assists, 73 points. That is pretty special. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he's a great guy to have on your top line, and he's entirely legitimate there. Um Sasha Barkov is Mr. Underrated himself. Um, he's the quality first line center at both ends of the ice, obviously. Um, perennial Selkie contender, even though Bergeron's going to win it this year. And Barkov was not a finalist this time around. Um, he can turn the puck over in counterattack, which is kind of the thing that the Panthers do. They attack, they get the puck from you, they hit you back before you're really set. Mm. And they pounce on those broken play opportunities to generate offense. Um... His own merely very good production, which is 78 points, which is hardly bad, but it maybe puts him in the shadow a little bit. One for the Selkie, but two next to Matthew Kachuk, who we'll get to talking about shortly. Yeah, I, I think Barkov has not blossomed to the top five center that people maybe thought he would be, but he's mm-hmm. he's very comfortably a first nine center. And yeah, is a, is a very good player. Yeah, um, very strong uh, and has worked in enabling the Panthers to put together what's a legitimate first line, again, without their best player on it. Yes. So the Panthers can credibly claim two first lines. That's mm-hmm. pretty special. Um, Anthony DeClaire is a very quick skater. I don't know if the Achilles injury has cost him any speed. To my eye, he still looks as fast as ever. Um, he's a slick playmaker. He's been just okay gearing back up. Um, his defense has never really been a calling card, but you no. don't necessarily need him for that. Um, this is a team that can really turn it around on you in a hurry. This is a line, I should say, um, where they take advantage of opportunities and they materialize against you very fast. You know, I watched game seven against the Bruins and even though Boston carried play a lot of the night, it was staggering how quickly things went against them. Yeah. And bad bounce. Like, I mean, there were some bad bounces in game one. This is a team that is really well capital, really well suited to take advantage of bad bounces, or at least from a least perspective, bad bounces. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, like it, they are opportunistic and they have a ton of skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul Maurice had a quote saying something like, whichever team brings less for the other team to feed on. It was weirdly phrased. It, but... it, he's had some <laughs> odd quotes. I, yeah. <sighs> You know what? And, you know, he gets a lot of credit for being a good quote, and that's fine. And I would rather him be interesting than not. But some of the stuff he says, I'm like, this is kind of bizarre. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but his point was, whichever team feeds more opportunities to the opposing counterattack is going to lose. 
So, yeah, uh, if the Leafs can bring less for the Panthers to feed on, that will probably be to their benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is a line that can go power for power and turn the ice by forcing turnovers. Um, yeah, something to be wary of, and we've already seen that with Verhage having that goal in Game 1. Uh, the second first line that the Florida Panthers have is Nick Cousins, Sam Bennett, and Matthew Kachuk. And it's the Matthew Kachuk line, even though it has yeah. two other guys on it. <laughs> Matthew Kachuk is really good. He's a top five forward in the NHL. Yes. Um, um, it brings me no joy to say this. No, he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw um, some people on Twitter ranking, this was before game one, the, Leafs for, the, the, the forwards in the series. Mm-hmm. And most of the rankings I saw had Matthews number one and then Kachuk number two. That's the ranking I would go with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but some smart people were in the comments, including Nick Micah McCurdy, uh, Evan Oppenheimer, and saying Kachuk could be number one. Yes. I think that overstates this season, uh, which was a down year for Matthews in terms of his shooting percentage. Um, but it's not crazy. No, it's not. Uh, Kachuk is good at pretty much everything to do yes. with hockey. He was far and away the team leader in points, 109. And in penalty minutes, 123. The only Leaf who even had 60 penalty minutes this year was Bunting, who had 103. Um, Hockey Viz thinks that Matthew Kachuk is the best offensive generator in the NHL by an absolutely insane margin. Um, He's like plus 44 on offense, Mm -hmm. which is bonkers. Now, he doesn't have above average finishing by that metric. Like, it's saying he gets an insane number of good chances and finishes them slightly less than expected whereas McDavid shoots the lights out. But still, Kachuk is big, tenacious, talented, physical, really annoying, and very provocative. Um, Also in round one against the Bruins, he had 11 points. In game one against the Leafs, he had three points. He basically won the Panthers that game, and if the Panthers make a run this year, which we obviously hope they do not, he is their obvious MVP candidate. Yep. Okay. There are other people on the line, too, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Not Nick nearly Cousins. as good, basically. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, so Nick Cousins has a goal, mm-hmm. um, and to his credit, he's sort of a gritty supporting forward. He'll charge in, he'll stir things up. He'll make this line even less fun to play against than it is. And he can chip in a bit of offense, as we've seen. But he finishes around, like, nine goals a year. This is not a guy who's like an offensive dynamo, but he's good enough to sort of hang around and yeah. let the Panthers uh, spread out some offense. And the same is true of Bennett. Like, Bennett was a bit of a disappointment in Calgary. He has started off really hot in Florida and has now settled into, like, I think, like, kind of just a quality second-line center. Mm-hmm. He's got um, 40 points in 63 games this year. Um, had a productive round one. He's perceived as elevating his game in the playoffs. I mean, who am I to dispute with? Um, and he certainly throws hits, um, plays a physical game. He's a respectable guy to have on your second line, but it's Matthew Kachuk that makes this into a de facto first line. Um, Bennett is a guy who's fine. So, yeah, this is the Kachuk show. This is a hard line to play against, and I think pretty much as it goes, so goes the series. If Kachuk has games with zero points... Those are games the Leafs are pretty favored to win. Mm-hmm. Game one, he had three. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think he's kind of defining, frankly. 
we can move on to line three now. Uh, E2, Luis Dorainen, Anton Lundell, and Sam Reinhardt. Mm. So these these are just good players, by the way. Like, this is so so much clearly better than any than like people the Leafs have in their bottom six, with the exception of O'Reilly, I would say. Yeah. We'll talk about the Panthers' weaknesses, and they certainly do have them, but this is like maybe the deepest forward lineup in the NHL. Mm-hmm. And their main competition for that title was the Boston Bruins, who they just knocked out. So, um, Louis Dorainen, who I would like to call E2 now, so I don't have to struggle to pronounce that too many more times. That's a challenge for me. Uh, he might surprise a few people this series, I think, because he's big and he's mobile and he's a good supporting offensive player. Um, he's probably a better player than Nick Cousins, but maybe it's a line fit thing. Um, he's settling in pretty nicely at 21 years old. Anton Lundell, you might remember, because I think a lot of us wanted to draft him. I know you and I were both looking at him. Yeah, yeah. And he, he dropped like a little bit. I think he got picked at 12 and then we were picking at 14. And we picked a uh, Rodion Amirov that, that year. Yeah, he didn't quite make it to us. Him and Seth Jarvis both went just before we would have gotten them. Yeah. More's the pity. Um, but yeah, he's a good um, sort of two-way center type who's settled in pretty nicely on the third line for Florida. He's still got room to grow. Um, Sam Reinhardt is the most established player on the line. He still clear- cleared 30 goals again, even in a bit of a down year. And he's very good offensively. His mm-hmm. skating is kind of just okay, but he's a good player. Yeah, I mean, I think Reinhardt's kind of like a a lower-end first-line winger. And if you have that guy in your third line, that's that's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. By the way, Florida's just absolutely collecting top picks from 2014. They have Ekblad, Reinhardt, and uh, Bennett, who were picked 1, 2, and 4 in that draft class. Wow. Do you think maybe, like, just the scouts all did a lot of work that year and kept their files around? I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're just missing, I guess, of the, of the really high-end players from that, draft they're missing uh Dreisaitl, Nylander, and Eaters, I suppose. And and Pasternak, of course. But he they might have uh, some trouble getting a handle on Dreisaitl, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably not moving. Um yeah, the fact that Florida can put out this third line is a real testament to their firepower. Mm-hmm. Like this is just just straight up impressive. Um finally the fourth line. Um Eric Stahl, I've seen some people kind of tap dancing on his grave. And I was like, well, he put up 14 goals, 15 assists for 29 points in 72 games this year with no power play production. Like, that's fine for, like, a depth forward. And he also was, like, one of their prime penalty killers, although their penalty kill was just okay. But, yeah, anyway, he's still there, and he's still a viable player for sure. Um, Colin White uh, is kind of a reclamation project from the Sens. They gave mm-hmm. him a contract and then were forced to buy him out when the contract turned out to be stupid. He's a good skater who doesn't generate a mu- generate very much. Zach Dalpe is a fringe NHLer, and he will be out if Lomberg comes back. You don't have to think of too much about Colin White and Zach Dalpe. <laughs> mm. Agreed. Okay. Yeah, so summing up that forward lineup, as I think the Leafs found in game one, it's very deep. It's got a lot of fast skaters. It can come at you kind of relentlessly and make you turn the puck over. And a game with a lot of turnovers and a lot of attacks against a disrupted defense that hasn't gained structure is how the Panthers generate their goals. Mm -hmm. And they're very good at it. Um, 
if the Leafs get into kind of a track meet, we were talking about that at the top, it suits Florida. I'm not saying it doesn't. Yeah, I think the Leafs can yeah. win that, but that, that, that is really what Florida is trying to do. So I, I understand the point of the people who say, like, the Leafs should not play that game. Yeah, and I think Florida is a faster team. Agreed. Um, you know, so, yeah, definitely in forwards, you can make the case that Florida is even with Toronto or even a little bit better based on depth. They're, you can I go think either their forwards way. are offensively better. Um, yes. I, I think if, if you yeah. want to make the case that Toronto's forwards are better, it relies on the defensive attributes of those forwards. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're looking at um, Matthews, Marner, Brian O'Reilly, mm-hmm. especially to kind of carry that argument. Um, the defense is a little different. Yeah, this is the where defense, f- yeah. This is where Florida's vulnerable, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they are still good offensively on defense. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Some very talented offensive defensemen, but they tilt one way. So we'll talk about that first pairing, which is Gustav Forsling and Aaron Ekblad. Yeah, the Panthers are much stronger on the right side than the left, and offensively than defensively. You can see both those factors. Forsling is a capable offensive defenseman. He had 13 goals this season, which is pretty remarkable for a defender. He doesn't look great defensively, and I don't think a ton of playoff teams would have someone of his caliber on their top pairing. Agreed. Now, what is Luke Shen doing in our top pairing? That's another question for another well, day. But, uh, I mean, that pairing isn't really our top pairing in, in a sense, right? Yeah. Like I, would, I would describe our top pairing as McKay Brody. Fair. Um... So, yeah, you can kind of argue that either way. I'm not saying Forsling is a bad player by any stretch. It's just that I think that he's a bit attackable. Let's put it that way. Especially um, on the cycle. Uh, Aaron Ekblad, you probably know quite well. He was the first overall pick, as Arvin mentioned, in 2014. He's flirted with being the kind of stud, do-it-all defenseman that he was supposed to be in his draft year. And he's very good in tough minutes, but I think he does miss Mackenzie Wegar a little bit who was gone in the trade to Calgary. Um, Forsling and Ekblad have been stable most of the year and have put up okay results, narrowly outscoring their problems and allowing a fairly considerable number of chances against. Um, Possibly of note, Ekblad has played a lot with Matthew Kachuk this year, and Kachuk's numbers are spectacular away from him, while Ekblad's get very unimpressive. Now, there are situational usage factors in that, I am sure, but just something to note. Um, yeah, I, I think that definitely if you can, you would like to attack the left side of this pairing, especially, um, pairing number two, Mark Stahl and Brandon Montour. Yeah. So this is again, where you see like some weakness, like Mark Stahl is just not that great anymore. No. Um, Um, yeah. Montour is a phenomenal offensive defenseman who had some really great power play results this year. I think... There's no better example of how easy it is to miss things that are happening with the Florida Panthers. Brandon Montour had 73 points this year mm-hmm. as a defenseman. That's a lot. Yep. <laughs> um, scientific. He had 16 goals, too. So he's a shooting defenseman. We saw that all through round one where he had five goals. And he, he gets a lot of his shots in tight. These aren't, he's, he's not necessarily like a point shot gunner. He's just like an activator, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He can really participate in sort of aggressive play. Um, 
And maybe as a consequence, defensively, he's a little bit less impressive than that. Mm -hmm. Still a very good player. It's just strengths and weaknesses, right? Um, Mark Stahl is the kind of guy you customarily put with a player like Brandon Montour. You know, big, experienced, supposedly kind of steady. Um, he's getting old and his mobility is kind of crap. Um, I remember also in one of those three games that Matthew Nyes played at the end of the regular season, he kind of wore Mark Stahl like a cape for like 30 seconds mm -hmm. and seemed not that bothered by his presence. That's not a great sign for a guy like Stahl, who is supposed to make his living on being physical. Now, Nyes is solid as hell, but yeah. Again, I, I think that if you want to point to weaknesses, you can point to the left side of this pairing and say that's something to, to attack. Mm -hmm. um, Josh Mahura and Radko Gudas. So, yeah, this is just a third pairing. Their numbers are quite good. And Gudis has always had good numbers in between straight-up killing people, which is sort of his hobby. <laughs> he hasn't done it as much in recent years, so I guess that's progress. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, anyway, they're, they're certainly a competent third pairing. Um, I would keep my head up while Radko Gudis is on the ice for sure. Mahura is another puck-moving type. This defense is not as good as Toronto's. Yeah, quite clearly. Yeah, I like. I think that's the takeaway. And if you want to evaluate this series on, on the whole, you say, look, the forwards maybe are close. Could argue that either way. It's hard to argue the defense is better. Now, the defense still has to play like it. And in the seven-game sample, that's no sure thing. Mm -hmm. But I don't see how you take Florida's defense over Toronto's at this point. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I guess you could say is that Ekblad at his peak and maybe at his peak perception might be considered better than anyone Toronto has right now. But Yeah, I mean, this is, this is the weakness of Florida. I, I, think we, yeah. like, we, I think we give an adequate respect to Florida. They are a good team. They are not a perfect team. Like, yeah. no, no team is perfect. Most certainly not, you know, the eight seed. Um, yeah, this is, this is an area where they, could, where they can be got. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I would note is that in their imperfection, they do kind of suit what they try to do, which is just let's attack all the time. Right. Um, yeah. So like, as we've said, Montour fits right into that. Um, so you could they, see. They've leaned into their flaws in a way that produces a cohesive and consistent style. Mm -hmm. um, then we get to the starting goaltender. It's Sergei Bobrovsky who has now got two of the biggest upsets in NHL history in the first round on his resume. He's been wildly inconsistent in Florida, mm -hmm. even in the course of this season. The Panthers made it because for a couple of weeks, they went to a journeyman goaltender in Alex Lyon. And in the first round, Lyon played a couple games, got absolutely shelled. And then Bobrovsky came in and kind of somewhat righted the ship. Um... We saw him in game one. He was fantastic. And as much as the Leafs were imperfect in that game, with even goaltending, they'd probably win it. So, yeah, um, here he is. I have no idea what to expect from him. Some of that's my inability to evaluate goaltenders, but even like goalie people are like, we do not know what happens with Bobrovsky. <laughs> He's so inconsistent game, like from his best to his worst, it seems like, so... I hope we get more of his worst, I guess. That's all I can say. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, um, one other note, Spencer Knight, who you've probably heard of and who is sort of considered the goalie of the future, he's currently in the player assistance program. So if we see another goalie in this series, it's going to be Alex Lyon. Um, power play number one is Sam Bennett, Alexander Barkov, Matthew Kachuk, Brandon Montour, and Sam Reinhart. That's a good-ass power play. <laughs> that is a good-ass power play. Um, and we've talked about why a lot of these players. In expected goals, this power play is actually like insane mm -hmm. in the regular season um florida had the best sorry the second best power play by xg behind only edmonton who are supernova um in actual goals they were a little bit less great and it was primarily down to matthew kachuk generating a ton of expected goals on the power play and finishing at a weirdly low rate which is not a problem he has at even strength i'm wondering if he does better with chaos um, than he does against maybe a structured defense, which you see more on the penalty kill. Yeah, but it also just so easily be noise. That. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm kind of spitballing on that one. Uh, I think they're good, for sure. They scare me maybe a little less than Tampa's power play did, but they still do scare me. Um, penalty kill. Their top penalty killing forwards are Eric Stahl and Etu Luis Um They use. All of Forsling, Ekblad, um, Stahl, Mark Stahl, and Radko Gudas, um, sort of in a rotation. The penalty kill is kind of middling. It's fine. Yeah, I was gonna say this is actually where the least one of the least biggest advantages were what um, is, and it showed up in game one. At least, like the least power play looked to my eye very dangerous. Mm -hmm. uh, didn't score, but like, I think these teams are pretty close at five v five. The Leafs are more balanced. The Panthers are more hyper offense. The Leafs' advantage over the Panthers this year have been the Leafs got good goaltending, the Panthers did not. And the Leafs had strong special teams, the Panthers had okay special teams. Yeah. Now, That's... both of those things feel sort of uncertain in a seven-game series. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, you know, we just had a game where the Panthers' goaltending outplayed uh, the Leafs. Right? That, that just needs to happen three more times. It's not really out of the question at all. And, like, you know, it's also... Florida isn't so so dependent on that. They're not. They're not. You know. They're not Montreal in the bubble year, mm -hmm. um, or in the in the COVID year, not the bubble year. So yeah, it's it's a little tricky. But like the the special teams, I thought there was such an obvious difference between like what, uh, how Tampa defended uh, the power play versus how Florida defended the power play. It's like oh wow, we have space. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, they're not on you every second. And maybe that'll change as, like, they get more used to, like, the scouting. If they, you know, their analysts only had 24 hours to prepare for the Leafs as well. Right? Mm -hmm. That that can change things as the series progresses. But based on their history as well, I, I, I just think Florida's penalty kill is not as strong as, um, as Tampa's. And the Leafs will have to exploit that fact if they want to come back and win in this series. Because yes. I think 5v5, it's going to be pretty close. Yeah. I think that that's very fair. And we also know from experience that penalties tend to dry up a little bit as the series goes on. Mm -hmm. Paul Maurice is already working the refs, as every coach does to some greater or lesser extent, but he was making a real point of it because the Panthers took a lot of penalties in game one and he didn't like it. Um, yeah, that'll, that'll be something to monitor. Um, okay, so we've done our survey of it. We've talked about what happened in game one which was it turned into a bit of a track meet. Um, the Panthers did force a lot of turnovers, got a lot of um, odd man chances, or at least chances against the Leafs not being structured in a way that they would prefer to be, I would say. Um, 
And it was a bit of a gunfight that got determined by goaltender. I still think that the Leafs should win this series. I said Leafs in six before game one. I am going to take the advantage of hindsight and hedge and say now it's Leafs in seven. Because they already lost one. <laughs> yeah, I think the most likely outcome is Panthers in six, and the second most likely is Leafs in seven. So. Yeah, all right. So, yeah, I mean, it's all to play for. And, you know, I think I'll be honest, like we're a little bit more zen about this because at least they won one series. But, mm-hmm. you know, this is a year where you have a real shot at making a run. It's kind of wide open. Right, so. yeah, it, it's, you don't, like, I, yeah, as you said, we will be more zen about it because we won a series, but we would look back on this similar to the bubble year and be like, man, this is a beatable team. Yeah, right. And, and again, I, I, I mean, it's not like I'm going to disrespect any Panthers fans because I have literally, literally never met one um, or no. even seen one on Twitter, but like, they, they are a beatable team. They are a good team, but they are eminently beatable. Yeah, Um you know, I, I, people are analogizing them to the eight-seed Los Angeles Kings of that year where they, they kind of snuck into the playoffs and then they just pummeled everybody. And the Panthers could certainly win because Matthew Kachuk is on fire right now in a way that you rarely see from any but the very best players. Um, but the Kings dominated possession in that era, especially to an extent that was almost obscene. And this was also an era where there was less um, emphasis on pre-shot movement, on things that increase shooting percent. Like, it really was a volume game back then to a greater mm-hmm. degree than it is now. Yeah. Daryl Sutter was coaching the Los Angeles Kings there. He was getting two rings. This year, you saw him piss off everyone in Calgary and get fired. So, <laughs> that's a little bit of a cute uh, comparison, but it feels apt. Yeah, I... I don't know. It's going to be something. Um, I really do hope that the Leafs tighten up a little bit, I think. Yeah. I'll feel more comfortable if they do. So I'm with Sheldon Keefe on that one because I'm sure he's he's telling his team to quiet it down a little bit. Um, okay. Any thoughts, questions, queries, or concerns? We whizzed through that one. Yeah. I mean, it, so so much of it is like it's it's hard to preview a series that's already happened that like might be half over by the time most people listen to this pod. Yeah, let's hope not. Oh yeah, the possibility bad. is there for sure. That'd be bad. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, if if we need to fill more time, we can just pivot to talking more about Dune if you, if you like. <laughs> I just love the integration with politics and then scenic vistas of space and sand. Um, yeah. Anyway, so. I do lament one thing about us being delayed. You know, like, we got this out as fast as we could. But I feel like we didn't get a a full chance to laugh at the Boston Bruins. Yes. And my sincerest hopes are that the Leafs win the next four games in dominant fashion. Mm -hmm. And then we can have maybe an entire podcast, which we will title (laughs) Laughing at the Boston Bruins. (laughs) And it will just be us laughing at the Boston Bruins. We may not even get to complete sentences. We'll just be like... <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is the dream. And mm. look, Leafs, think about what you're taking away if you do not win this series. I know. You, you, you want to live in a world where there is just one hour of us laughing at the Bruins on, vid, <laughs> on, on audio. I was, you know, we were talking about um, getting those moments last podcast, and I thought, 
you know, win or lose in this series, though, I got to have one weekend where the Leafs won and the Bruins were chokers. <laughs> and sports can be very beautiful sometimes, you know, if you yeah. think about it. So, yeah. There's your happy thought to, to end on. <laughs> Anything else? That, I think that's everything. So um, thanks to everyone for listening. Sorry for the delay here. Unfortunately, just some life stuff got in the way. Um, you can catch all of mine and Foodman's work at pensionpanpuppets.com. You can follow us on Twitter at RBNA2Foodman. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.